Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. This week, we're jumping into the world of writing, and we've brought in one of the best of the best for you. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we hear from people all the time is that they have a dream to be a writer. Like, Uh that's one of people's biggest dreams. They want to write a book. Yeah. So today, we've asked our good friend and Nav Press publisher, Mr. Don Pape, to join us. With over 30 years in the business, Don has published over a dozen New York Times bestsellers. That's crazy. And he's worked with incredible authors such as Francis Chan, Madeline Langle, and Eugene Peterson. Don truly is one of the most humble, authentic, and wise people that you could ever encounter. And the advice he shares on writing your story will encourage and motivate you to bring the book that you have inside of you to life. If a book isn't going to change you, then what's the point, right? I mean, there's some books we read for pure pleasure, but even those books, like I want to make sure when I put it down, did I learn something? Did I grow from reading that novel or was it just, did I waste three days? We talk with Don about what makes the difference between life-changing books versus those destined for the landfill, how to look at your life in a different way and uncover the story within you worth sharing. Yeah, and as you listen, we hope you'll be encouraged to pick up the pen and begin to share it with those who need to hear it. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Here's Don. Well, Don, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're with us today. Awesome. Good to be here. Or there. Or wherever we are. Wherever (laughs) Wherever we are. (laughs) So good, man. Well, I'll tell you what, it's it's been neat for us to kind of get to know you and what you do and the world you live in. And we're going to get to all that in a second. But before we do that... Kind of let our audience know who's Don Pape. Tell us a little bit about you, your story, where you're from, all that good stuff. So, yeah, so I grew up in Ottawa. I moved to Toronto eventually. I won't fill in the gaps there, but I met my wife on InterVarsity staff. Okay. It's a collegiate ministry mm-hmm. in Canada. Well, it's worldwide. So I joined InterVarsity. I attended a missions conference called Urbana, and God kind of tugged on my heart. I really resisted following my parents' footsteps of getting into all things Christian, I thought, you know, our family's contributed enough of that. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to be a world-famous diplomat. I mean, why not? I've got the languages. Uh, My major is poli-sci. Well, I attended Urbana, and Urbana got a hold of me, and um, I joined university staff in Toronto. had a wonderful time there, and I met my wife. And we've been married, uh, actually, this October, 34 years. Actually, no, 35. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Ooh, that was close. You got to get that right. Yeah. That was super close. I know the date, though, October 13th. <laughs> there you go. So I married my best friend. And gosh, Ruthie and I, uh, we just have a ball. And uh, we're 37 days away from going away on vacation. Not that anybody's counting. No, no. <laughs> But she truly is my best friend, and she's mom to my three sons. My oldest son is a film producer in Denver, and he and Meg are going to give us our first grandkid in May, little Zoe. And um, my middle son works with autistic children, and then my youngest son, Timothy, is a nurse. So I love them to death, and I'm very proud of them. That's awesome. So kind of tell us a little bit of the world that you work in and how you kind of entered into the, the whole publishing world. Yeah. Well, it's a God story, right? 
I was working for university and we could make part time by working at university presses uh, warehouse, picking and packing books and shipping them out of the warehouse. And uh, so I got into that and kind of got hooked. I, I've always loved reading, but I just got into, you know, the feel and look of books and just that whole thing. And so when I left university, I got into doing graphic design and was doing that for a while. And then a ministry that I worked for hired me full time to be their resource person. And that led to getting a job in marketing for a distribution company that then opened all kinds of connections down in the U.S., uh, meeting folks at Bethany House and Howard Books and just a variety of publishers. And I actually was working in Toronto for Doubleday Books. You may be familiar with Doubleday. They, they're a publisher for John Grisham and Danielle Steele. And they were, at the time, Bantam Doubleday Dell was kicking off a new Christian imprint called Waterbrook Press. And they asked me if I would be interested in coming down to Colorado and kind of being a consultant, help them get their sales team put together and off the ground. So I flew down here in April. And in July, they offered me the position. In August, we moved our family down to Colorado Springs, and we've been here 20 years. And we just love Colorado. I mean, 300 days of sunshine, uh, two hours away is fresh powder snow. What's not to like? Huh? Yeah, that you guys are awesome. kind of spoiled. That's awesome. So how long has that been that you've been in the publishing industry? So altogether, I've been in publishing 32 years okay. and in a variety of roles. So I started out, like I said, in, in working in the warehouse, picking mm-hmm. and packing books. <laughs> and I was doing design work. From there, I went into sales. And then when I was at Waterbrook, we acquired a publishing house called Harold Shaw. It was a small independent company. And the coolest thing about that was Harold Shaw published Madeline Lango, who is, you know, Wrinkle in Time and yeah. one of the best books is Walking on Water. So Amen. I got to be her publisher in acquiring Harold Shaw. I was made the publisher of Harold Shaw. And then about three years later, I became the publisher at Waterbrook. And that was fun. Got to work with people like Liz Curtis Higgs. We launched Bad Girls of the Bible and a lot of other f- good folks. And so it was, it was a real privilege being a part of the early days of Waterbrook. We were just, I mean, when I started with them, we were just a really small company. And now it's its a very robust, I'm not there anymore, but its I still keep in touch with folks. And it's a great Christian publishing arm of Penguin Random House. And uh, it's doing great work. That's awesome. Yeah. So I know you, you're very passionate about life-changing books, as we are. So I'd love to know, you know, you've worked, you mentioned a couple projects you've worked on. What are some of the authors you've worked with or the projects that you've been a part of that have impacted you the most? Other than Eugene, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We'll save him for later. But what are some of the other ones that you've been a part of that have just really impacted you? Well, you know, I mentioned Liz Curtis Higgs, and it was so cool hearing her story. You know, she started out in radio and worked with Howard Stern. And <laughs> when she became a Christian, I mean, when she left radio, Howard Stern said to her, hey, Lizzie, you better clean up your act. Which when I met her, I thought, holy smokes, if that's Howard Stern telling someone to clean up their act. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's scary. She's an amazing, you know, grace-filled, transformed Christian that is living an amazing life. And Bad Girls of the Bible was just one of those books that the title was hooky, 
But it was just amazing how she took these women of the Bible and made them come alive for readers. And it was just very cool to see life change in her. So that's one, you know, I worked with Francis Chan on Crazy Love. And that was another one that was just impactful in that I saw how how his message was impacting a whole generation of really college students. Mm-hmm. When I first met him, we were at Passion Conference in L.A. with uh, Shelley and Louis Giglio. And just to see all the people responding to Francis and his message of crazy love. The book hadn't come out then. That was January, and the book released in May. But just to see all the people, you know, reading it and then being really changed by reading it. I guess that's my MO is that if if a book isn't going to change you, then what's the point, right? I mean, there's some books we read for pure pleasure. But even those books, like I want to make sure when I put it down, did I learn something? Did I grow from reading that novel? Mm-hmm. Um, or was it just did I waste three days? <laughs> um, yeah. In terms of the books that we are acquiring, you know, I keep telling our editors, life's too short to work with projects that are worthless. Um, mm. They all become <laughs> landfill, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And I have no idea how many books have changed people's lives that I've touched, but um, it's just amazing. It really is being a steward. I always tell our authors it's an incredible responsibility because – you know, God has given you a message that now you are trusting me to take to market. And so we need to be good stewards of that. Um, and that's at all levels, editorial, cover design, interior design, sales and marketing. So, yeah, it's a great privilege. So good. Well, I, I would love to know from a publisher's perspective, when you put together a book like Crazy Love, you have these hopes for it, and then it goes and does what it does. Did you know it was going to do that and have that reach and have that impact? What What is it like behind the scenes? You're like, all right, we're putting this out into the world. Because I'm sure there's projects that didn't do what you hoped it would do. I would love to hear both sides of that. Yeah, it's it's so true. Well, I, I have to give a hats off to my son, Jeremy, because Jeremy tipped me off. He was attending Azusa Pacific. And he went to chapel one day, which in and of itself was an, uh, a remarkable thing. He was at chapel. <laughs> but he called you know God's said, moving, right? <laughs> this is clearly God. <laughs> How come? Did you get up early by mistake? What happened? <laughs> um, anyway, Jeremy went and he called me. He said, Dad, you've got to check out this Chinese dude. He's a pastor in California. And he just spoke at chapel. And he's amazing. And I thought, oh, I better check him out. Well, we there were a lot of us checking him out. It was funny because we all traveled out to a hotel to meet Francis. And we were trying to avoid each other. Like publishers were trying to avoid each other in the hallways and in the elevators. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, there's Tidale. There's Zondervan. There's, you know. But I knew, I had an inkling when my son called me. Okay, there's something special about this guy. Something anointed about him that my 19-year-old is being affected by him. And then I remember reading the book and one of the sales guys said to me, there's nothing new in this book. You know, he's talking about lukewarm Christians. And I mean, it was nothing new, but it was just how, how he said it. And it was with such a passion um, that I thought, okay, this is the real deal. And I, I say that because I contrast that with also in my publishing career, calling up an author and having to cancel their book contract and saying, and this is a hard thing to do. You know, have you read chapter eight of your book? And the author is saying to me on the phone, 
Don, I write about the person I want to be, not the man I am. Mm. And that's haunted me, to be honest. Yeah. And so now in my role, we're kind of a boutique a publisher at that press, we're doing a lot less books than most of the big houses. But one of the upsides of that is it allows us to spend time with the author and get to know them. And you know what? In 30 minutes, you can tell if that person's a real deal or not. Yeah. You can see through the facade. You can see, you know, oh, this person's a diva or what have you. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of divas in publishing. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> what? <laughs> Not in the Christian, so not in the Christian space, right? Not in the yeah, faith right. space. <laughs> yeah, they're all humble. So, what are some things when when you sit across from somebody? What are some of those characteristics that you're going, okay, that's it, that's the yeah. piece that I'm looking for in one of our authors? Well, I mean, I'm just thinking of one recent author. You know, one of them is how they've experienced pain in their life and have lived it as a Christian. Mm. And I, when I say that, you know, I don't want all authors to go through divorce or cancer or anything like that. Right. But you you listen to them and think, man, they are living a life well in spite of their son having this or in spite of their wife having that or in spite of them losing their best friend or, you know, I mean, insert whatever that life circumstance is. They've gone through this really dark hard place but they know that they know without any doubt that god is on the throne so that's one factor and then i i think too it's i love authors that live with mystery you know the christian faith i like i've been a christian all my life and i'm okay with mystery and some people aren't like they want everything lined up and so a lot of my authors i love it that they're they're willing to say you know what I love Jesus. I don't understand this about the faith, but I'm okay with that because I know that I know Jesus is on the throne. So, so good. That's awesome. So let's talk about one of the men I know has impacted you. You got to work with Eugene Peterson closely for a couple years. Talk about how that partnership came to be and kind of the impact that he had on you. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I had read his books, you know, I'd, I'd read A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and I'd read The Pastor, his autobiography. And so I was familiar with him, you know, obviously, during my stint with InterVarsity, IVP had done a number of his books, so I had familiarity with him. I'd gone to Regent College in Vancouver for some intercession classes, and so I was familiar with him. But when I took the position here five years ago at NAV Press, I decided I wanted to go and see him. He'd not had an occasion to meet with the publisher. And so I flew up and met him. And it was like meeting Yoda. <laughs> um, <laughs> be grateful you're not, you don't have him on a podcast because you'd ask him a question and he would take like 60 seconds to answer. And it was a great answer that was coming, but it was like the silence, you know, and I thought, do I need to repeat the question or <laughs> what's going on? But it, whatever he said was profound. You know, I think the thing that struck, has struck me about Eugene and, and why I miss him terribly so is that he has been one of the very few Christians that I've seen model well the Christian life. Like, I just wish there were more Christians loving each other because that's the command, right? They will know we are Christians by our love. 
Yeah. And I just see the landscape out there littered with people just backbiting and hating each other. And I go, okay, no wonder that people aren't anxious to follow Jesus when they see that kind of behavior. Well, you hung out with Eugene and you'd go, I want to follow whoever he's following or whatever he's eating or drinking or reading. I want part of that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he was just amazing. It was cool. I just found a letter that he wrote to me. Oh, gosh, last April. And, you know, I'm reading it just going, oh, like even his letters are good to read. You know, like he was thoughtful. You know, he, he wasn't an Instagram kind of guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's just a beautiful man. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the short film that you guys made out at his place in Montana, his home on the lake. And I'm reading The Pastor as well right now. And just listening to him talk about that, home and what it meant for him to build it with his dad and that it was just holy ground and a sacred space. Can you talk about the making of that short film and kind of how that came to be and what it was like to be there in that holy space? Yeah, yeah. So about three years ago, uh, a friend of mine, Greg Fromholtz, who's from Ireland, actually he's an American missionary in Ireland, brought a crew over and we shot an 18-minute film called Peterson in Between the Man and the Message. Yeah. And that, I think that may be the one you're talking about, Yeah, Jenny. yeah. And it's gone on to make, you know, some film festivals and awards and stuff. But that film was an attempt to capture a living saint while he was alive and make sure that when he passed, we'd have something that we could show people and say, that is how you live. And there's all kinds of nuggets there's one part in there in the film. There's so many great one lines. I, I love the line where he's talking about dating, looking to date his wife, Jan. And he, the line he is so good. He goes, suddenly I was a monk no more. Because <laughs> he, he probably would have been a monk had he not met his wife. But anyway, there, there's a lot other nuggets. But it was so cool. When we were shooting that film on the lake, there was a moment there where he talked about the Holy Spirit. And just as he said that, there's a wild goose that flies over. And in the Celtic faith, you know, a wild goose is the symbol for the Holy Spirit. It was like, oh, we couldn't have planned that even better, you know? But yeah. All right, release the goose now. Cue <laughs> <laughs> the goose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and doves, here we go. Yeah, there we go. Oh, man. That I think awesome. the thing I want everybody to understand, we're talking about Eugene Peterson. I know you said Eugene, like we know who he is. It, this man wrote the message version of the Bible and has written so many great books that have impacted so many people's lives. Did you ever sit down and just talk to him about the message when he when he wrote that? What was the thought process behind that? I would love to just hear you because it's impacted so many people. It really has brought the scripture to life for those who maybe didn't be able to understand it in different translations, but it really leaped off the page. Can you break that down a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Well, it's remarkable that 25 years later, you know, it's still number eight or nine on the translations list. Um, And I think it's because it's beautiful language. You know, we often get complaints from people saying, well, you know, the message, you know, it's not the King James or what have you, because, you know, we've got Eugene Peterson's name to it. But it's interesting because I've been reading a book about the Bible called The Word, and it's a book that looks at sort of the how did we get the Bible? And we've always had men taking God's word and translating it. You know, even in King James time, there were people like Tyndale and Wycliffe and others 
who were taking, you know, the Latin Vulgate that no one understood and making it for the masses. So when Eugene was looking out at his congregation in Maryland and realizing these guys are glazing over when I'm reading from the Bible, I need to reach Jack, the truck driver who has an eighth grade education with God's word. So I, I believe he started with Galatians. And then eventually one of the editors that was here at the time at Nat Press contacted him and kind of the rest is history. It took him, I believe, 10 years maybe to do all the translation. I, I might be off on that, but I mean, it was a lot of work. And you, you may know the story that he got a call when he was working on one of the books from Bono to come yeah. to a concert. <laughs> And he turned them down because he was working on Jeremiah. Jeremiah <laughs> 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 better than Bono, right? <laughs> <laughs> but Bono came out to his home, right? I think I yeah, saw that. Yeah, and they worked on the Psalms. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, you know, Bono's a huge fan of the message. And uh, there's so many people that are huge fans of it. We're actually working on a new message edition that will come. Well, we just did a revised text update last year. We worked with Ann Voskamp. Mm-hmm. and a local pastor here in Colorado and some academics to just go through. Uh, we only had to change 488 verses. So it wasn't a big task, but it was just the message is the Bible in contemporary language. And it's not contemporary if it's 25 years old, right? <laughs> right. So we went in and, and changed some words. Some of the, the stuff is you don't touch it because it's just lyrical Eugene Peterisms or Petersonism, whatever. <laughs> but, um, I like the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's good. So you like good. added the word Instagram and oh please, <laughs> yeah. please no. yeah, yeah. Meme. <laughs> yeah, memes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So speaking of that, I I would love to know your thoughts on this, Don, because you know one of the things that Eugene talks about in the pastor, or he talks about when he was writing the message and all of the books that he wrote, sitting in that cabin, looking at that lake, staring at the trees and the mountains. It took him so much undistracted, focused time, which is something that we are so lacking right now in our culture. I mean, you talk about your good friend, John Eldridge, that we had on a couple weeks ago, and he he talked about what is actually happening to our brains because of the internet and social media and how we're constantly distracted. And I'm just concerned as a book lover, as, you know, like books that have changed my life, I know the level of focus and concentration it takes to create these works of substance like a Eugene Peterson. So I'm just curious, you know, from your perspective as a publisher, what you see happening in the world of publishing and in authors as we're in this kind of digital age, you know, what does the future look like as we really strive to, to find that undistracted time? Yeah, so this, this is the Antichrist. <laughs> He's holding up his phone, <laughs> phone for those listening. The phone. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, we do hold meetings where I pass a basket and ask everyone to put the phone into the basket because it's it's so annoying. It's such a distraction, yeah. whether, you know, it's someone texting you or a new email comes in and your, your screen lights up and it's like you're deep into a conversation and suddenly, oh, excuse me, I got this text. Yeah. yeah. So there's that, you know, we did a marvelous book. Uh, Jenny, that I think you'd enjoy. It's called The Wired Soul by Tricia Rhodes. Okay. And it looks at how the brain has actually shrunk 
and the impact on that in terms of your Bible reading, Bible me- memorization, just everything. So, I mean, it's real. The, the practical thing for us as publishers is that, you know, we did a book a few years ago where the writer submitted a 70,000 word manuscript, which 10 years ago, 20 years ago would have been acceptable. But today it was, we went back to the author and said, you know, really for our audience, this needs to be about 30, 35,000 words. It's almost cutting it in half, right? But it's because the consumer, sadly, can't handle these big tomes. You know, it used to be, we joke, they're used to USA Today. Well, USA Today, I mean, forget USA Today. Now they're used to tweets. You know, it's like 40 words or 120 words, whatever it is now. But people just don't have the capacity. Now, the good news is they're still reading and books are still being published. You know, we had a a time there in the 2013, 14, 15, where everyone was doing digital and everyone thought, oh, books are going to die. We'll never see books again. They'll just be on the Kindle and Nook. But that's kind of plateaued and people are still reading the physical book. And I think there's something about the physical book that helps your brain engage. Like I can't read books online because they're distracting because of all this, you know, hyperlinks and stuff. So a book... I can read it. And the thing I like about books is it allows me to engage with the content and the text and really be present. Yeah. I think that's the, you know, one of the lessons, many lessons learned from Eugene, but one of them is just being present. And we're not good at that. I think one of the things John mentions about caring for the soul is just, you know, having that presence. Um, yeah. And we're, we're just so busy, you know, yeah. and we need to care for our soul by being present. Absolutely. Yeah, Jenny's a hold the book in your hand. I'm, yeah, She's I'm like, the same. I need a physical book. I need a pen. I need a, my yeah. glasses. Like, <laughs> let's just do it. On behalf of publishers around the world, we salute you. <laughs> I'll always be a good customer. And I, and I don't think I read a book till after I quit college. She's an <laughs> so audio book guy. So I love listening. Yeah. Once I started listening, it was my format and it transformed my life. For sure. Well, there's comic books too, Chris. Yeah, those are way over my head. I, I didn't know. Woo, my brain, you're talking about brain shrinking, you know. It, uh... All right, well, let's talk about, there's, you know, one of the things that we hear all the time, we'll ask our audience or different people questions. If you had a dream, what would you like to do? And I'm sure you'd know this answer. A lot of people said, I want to write a book. Every, everyone, there's in most people, there's this dream to write a book. So for the person listening out there who wants to write a book, maybe they're an author and in today's environment, you know, the publishing world, all of that, you can publish a book and drop it on Amazon. What advice would you give to somebody out there who's wanting to write their first book? Sure. Well, you know, everyone wants to write a book. Mm -hmm. And frankly, everyone has a story, right? I mean, you don't have to, you know, have this incredible conversion story of, you know, I once was a drug dealer in Colombia and now I'm this kind of thing. Every one of us has a story. And and of course, it's our story is part of the bigger story that God has unfolded for us. So, you know, some stories should be published (laughs) and some stories should not. (laughs) (laughs) So I get a lot of manuscripts that land on our desk that we look at and go, ah, but it's not commercially viable. But I want to reach out to that person that thinks they are a writer or want to write to really encourage them to say, you know what, if nothing else, write it down for the audience of one. And I know that sounds really cliche, 
But sometimes it's just for that individual, therapeutic for them to sit down in their journal and write their story, whatever facet they're looking at. They might look at a a period of time when they're in their adolescence that was life-changing or life-forming, or it might be when they went through a divorce or lost their parent to care. I, I don't know what their situation is, but it's good for them to write it for themselves and then just say, you know, this is a story for God. I, you know, I'm not going to get any revenue for it, but I give it up to him. And oftentimes, you know, when I go, I'm invited from time to time to writers' conferences. I try not to go because of that. Everyone has a book that they think I should publish. Um, But when I do go, you know, my sole purpose, honestly, you know, people say, well, why do you go to writers' conferences? And I, I tell them the honest truth. I don't go looking for authors that will publish with NAV Press. That's kind of a bonus if that happens. I honestly go to encourage the writer. Because they just need to be blessed and encouraged and say, you know what, this may never hit the New York Times, but it's your story. Thank you for sharing it with me. Thank you for sharing it with your family. And just encourage them, you know, and I I think that's the right thing to do. That's great advice. I love that. Yep. All right. We're going to jump into our final three questions. Are you ready? (laughs) Oh, boy. White chocolate. (laughs) White chocolate. Just That's white chocolate. All three. One, two, three. If there was any doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the first question goes like this. What is a book that's impacted your life? The second question. Oh, what's a habit that's changed your life? And number three is what advice would you give to the younger you? So you have to pick a book, Don. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what. There's a book. I think it's still in print. It's called A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Van Auken. That book, to me, I read it when I was single, and then I've read it two or three times since. But it was an amazing book to understand God's mercy and commitment to me. That helped me understand what do I need, how do I live a committed life? Whether it's to my wife, my children, my colleagues. It's Sheldon Van Auken. I think it's Harper that published it, but it's a beautifully written book, an amazing book. Um, The second question was... Second question is, what's a habit that's changed your life? Okay, I have a date with my wife every opportunity I can. Mm. So that's a beautiful habit that I make no apology for. So tonight, I happen to have colleagues in town that I have to have a business dinner with. But the habit or the practice of being with my wife and ending every day with her for a meal, that habit of spending time with my spouse, I make no apology for. I chose her. She's my best friend. I love her so much that I can't be enough with her enough. So it's not a bad habit. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a great I habit. I love that. Major brownie points there, brother. Beautiful. Just clip this and send this to her. That piece. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then yeah. lastly, what advice would you give to the younger Don? I would say chill, Don. Um, (laughs) You know, I am going to turn 60 in April. And when I look back on the 25-year-old, 26-year-old Don who, you know, was ready to rock the world and get out of my way, people, kind of thing, I just think, you know, God is on the throne. And I guess I just have learned a lot about the sovereignty of God and realizing, you know, Don is not God. God is. And there's a lot of stuff we waste our time worrying about and trying to change. You know, I think we have to just realize, like, sometimes, you know, we are not in control. 
And, you know, when you're in your 20s, you think you have the world by the tail and, you know, you can do anything and everything. And why are these stupid people getting in the way? Weren't <laughs> for these people, you know? Yeah. Stupid people live. <laughs> They're everywhere. They sure are. No, seriously. I just think you just have to chill. And I'm just grateful for those moments when I realize, you know, I don't have to worry about that. You know, so chill doesn't mean being slothful. Chill means give stuff up. Go with an open hand. And, you know, I think so much of our life, like even my children, we've gone through a lot of heartache with our three boys. And there are some things like I go, okay, did I miss family devotions one weekend so that this happened? (laughs) And then I realized, no, this is an open hand, you know. Mm -hmm. So that would be my message to young Don, chill. That's great. Great advice. Love it. Love it, man. Well, Don, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your story and for the impact you've made on so many people's lives, I think that's the piece that I hope the people listening will get, that um, your name may not be on the front cover of all of these books, but your name is very much engraved in these books that are changing people's lives. And so from our family, you've impacted our life through the work that you've done. And so I know you've impacted millions of people's lives as well. So thank you. Uh, well, my pleasure. Thanks for what you guys do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Don. It's so amazing to talk to somebody who's had such an impact on an industry for such a long time. I absolutely love Don. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Guys, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We are having a blast with you every week. It's hard to believe there's only four episodes left this season. That's right. It's been such an amazing year so far. Looking forward to the things that are right around the corner. And for those of you that continue to share this and spread the word, thank you so much for helping us get the word out on this podcast. Absolutely. And we love hearing how these episodes are speaking to you. Come and find us over at our website, letsliveitwell.com, or find us on social media. Yeah, and don't forget, guys, you can find all the information on today's show at our website, letsliveitwell.com. All right, well, another one in the books. Thank you so much for being here with us, guys. And we're going to close this out like we do every single time. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it well. well.